Hello and welcome to John Cook Ministries podcast. I'm John Cook. Good morning. I'm Dr. John Cook. I want to welcome you to this broadcast or this uh, live Facebook Live, I always get confused as to what to call this, because this is shared also on my YouTube channel and my podcast. But I want to welcome you to our continuing study on the pastoral epistles. This is uh, um, lesson number six, and we'll get that up on the screen there. This is lesson number six. We're on part four of lesson number six, and today's lesson, we're going to only look at just one verse, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. Now, when we think about the uh, the pastoral epistles, we want to keep in mind that the purpose of these epistles is written to young pastors, in this case, Timothy and then also Titus. These are young pastors, and Paul is instructing them in the ministry. And he gives various instructions as he goes through these letters. This pastoral epistles course covers 1st and 2nd Timothy, and also the book of Titus. And so, as we are studying these, the purpose is that for primarily is to train young pastors or young men that are, want to go into the ministry. What does God expect of you? What does God want you to do? And so we're looking at that today in verse uh, 11. And this is, again, I say, uh, lesson six, uh, covering less, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So as we get into this, we see primarily the thing we're going to look at today is what is the orders for our race? The Bible says we're to run our race and run the course that is set before us. Well, what is the course that is set before us in Scripture? Well, we are, there are some things we're to run away from. There are some things you can't, you can't debate with them. You can't stand up to them. There are some things you just have to run from. And these are things that really appeal to the flesh. And God is very specific as to what we are to run away from. But in running away from them, which direction are we to run? We are to follow after certain things. And so today, as we go through our study, we're going to look at what we are to run away from and what we are to run towards what we are to constantly be moving towards in our Christian life and as pastors in our ministry. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So this verse tells us the things we're tells us that we're to run away from some things and we're to follow after 
righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. He says, but thou, O man of God, notice that it speaks primarily and speaks specifically to pastors, preachers, young men that want to go into the ministry should pay especial attention to these books, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus, and study them and learn from them and recognize, first and foremost, who we belong to. Can it truly be said of us, I am a man of God? You know, you think about that title, a man of God. That very title carries grave responsibility with it. And so Timothy is being told by Paul, you're a man of God. To be a man of God or as a man of God, we are to surrender to God. We're to give up our goals, our purposes, our plans, our schemes, if you will, our ideas, the goals we've set for ourselves. We're to give those up and submit to the goals that God has for us and realize that as a man of God, we are to be controlled by God. That is, we're not under our own control. We are not the Lord of our own lives. We don't choose our place of service. We don't choose what we're going to preach. We don't choose how we're going to live. Because these are all things that God controls in our lives. So the idea being that when we seek what we are to preach, we're to go to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And he shows us through his words exactly what he wants us to say. And when we're, going, when we're looking for where God wants us to serve, we don't look for where I want to serve. We look for where God wants us to serve. I believe that we're not to surrender to a field. We're to surrender to God. The field God chooses for us. In my case, God chose the field of Canada, where I served for 30 years on the field in Canada. This was where God wanted me, and he put me there. I served in Alberta, British Columbia, and Quebec, those three provinces, each of them according to what I believed God wanted me to do. I was trying in my life to surrender to where God wanted me. I can remember one case where I was looking for where God wanted me next. When I'd started 
a couple works in Alberta. I was looking for where God wanted me to start the next work. My ministry was starting churches and training men Canadians to pastor those churches. And so I, I, I prayed about it and sought what God wanted me to do. I visited various towns. I ended up going over into British Columbia out of Alberta and checked out some towns there. I had pastor friends who were praying with me and their churches praying, praying with me. I can remember one town we visited and when we visited it, far as I was concerned, I wasn't going there. I wanted to go to a different town. I had my goals. I had my plans. But God moved in such a way as to move me to that town that I didn't want to go to. But it became God's will for my life. Or it was God's will for my life, and I surrendered to his will and served him in that town. The truth is, in our lives, we have to be surrendered to God's will and be controlled by him. He says, thou man of God. As a man of God, we speak for God. Now, that message is in the Bible, in this book right here, in that book right there. That's where God's words are. And this is the message I'm to deliver, is what God says here. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 27, says, And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? He said, Thus saith the Lord, I appeared to your fathers when they were in Egypt. But notice that the beginning of the message is, Thus saith the Lord. Now when I open this book right here, this old King James Bible. I have the very words of God to present in the ministry. This controls what I say. This gives me the message I am to preach. If, you, if we're disputing about all these different translations, and none of them are perfect, according to the educators that believe such things, then we can never say, thus saith the Lord. Not with assurance, not with authority. Because if this one says, the King James says this, but the ESV says this, the RSV says this, or the Living Bible says this, they don't all agree. So you better pick out the words of God. You better pick out a Bible that's not re just reliable, but is perfect and pure and inspired by God. 
So you can stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord. When I opened this book, the King James Bible, as a man of God, I can stand in the pulpit and I can say, thus saith the Lord with assurance, because I know this book is perfect. It's pure. It's undefiled. I'm not. But this book is, and this is a living book. It discerns when I read it. It discerns me. This book is God's word. So the man of God takes God's words and says, Thus saith the Lord. That's delivering God's message. We are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 tells us. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. Think of that. Think of what a great privilege we have that we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? He's somebody who's appointed. by the king or by the president in our country. He's appointed to represent the reigning authority. He goes to another country, but he doesn't go to the country he chooses. He goes to the country that's chosen by the one who has chosen him. He goes to deliver the message, not his message, but the words of the king. I go as an ambassador for Christ to deliver this message right here, the words of the king, King Jesus. And as though God would beseech you by us when we, as an ambassador, you speak not for yourself, but you speak in the stead of, in the place of. And so he says, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, as though the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there saying what we're saying. Be ye reconciled to God. The Lord Jesus wants you to be reconciled to God. If you're listening to me today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then the Lord Jesus Christ wants me to beg you to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior, to trust him to believe him, to follow after him. If today you will just heed his word, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, God says. Thus saith the Lord, for whosoever shall call 
upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll trust him today and call on his name and receive him, you can be born into God's family. Because John chapter 1 tells us, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Ye must be born again, Jesus said. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ today as your Savior. That's the message I have to deliver to this lost world. Be reconciled to God. As a man of God, we have been sent by God. Jesus said in John chapter 20 and verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus was sent by God the Father into this world to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, to present a perfect salvation. And now he sends his disciples into this world to proclaim the glorious message of salvation, and then to teach the disciples, the new converts, to teach them to do whatsoever he has commanded us to do. We have a grave responsibility, man of God, a grave responsibility to deliver the message that God has and we've been sent by God to deliver that message. We are commanded by God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now notice, he says, preach the word. That's God's command to me. That's God's command to every preacher. That's God's command to every pastor. Preach the word. That means I'm to preach this, the word of God. I'm not to preach my opinions, my ideas, my thoughts, but to preach the Word. I'm to be instant, ready to do it, in season, when men want to receive it, out of season, when men don't want to receive it. I am to reprove 
I am to prove again, reprove, rebuke. The word of God reproves us, rebukes us, and exhorts us. So when I preach the word, if I'm faithful in preaching the word, then I will be found reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with all long-suffering. That word long-suffering means you suffering long. It's just reverse the word. You got it. It means you put up with it a long time. You keep saying it a long time. Don't expect instant results. It's going to take time. This word right here. Long-suffering. You know what that requires? Requires, if I can do this. Requires patience. I don't think I spell that right. Requires patience. And doctrine. You know what doctrine is? It's God's set plan for man. It's God's set plan for us to obey, to do. It's teaching with authority. And that's what God expects of me. And that's what God expects of every preacher, every pastor, every man of God is to exhort, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, patience. Give God's word time to work. After all, God's word is a seed that has to be planted. And just like a farmer plants the seed and then patiently waits or the crop. So we have to do that. And then once the crop is up, we reap the crop. Now what do you do with the new believers? Teach them doctrine. And doctrine is not something that most people want to hear today. Most people, they just want an easy message. Something that tickles their ears. But that's not my job. And that's not the job of any preacher. It's our job to teach doctrine. And doctrine, again, is something that has to bear fruit. And fruit doesn't come overnight. What else does God expect of me? Faithfulness. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness. It doesn't say that, it's re that I'm required to be successful. Success in man's eyes and success in God's eyes are two different things. If I'm fa found faithful, then that's success. 
I may not have the biggest ministry. I may only have one person listening. Or I may have a big ministry and have all kinds of people listening. But that's not success. Success is faithfulness. It's required in me as a steward. And preacher, you're a steward of God's word. Young preachers, we're stewards of God's word. Remain faithful to God's words. That's what's required. There are some things that we're told to flee from. Flee these things. What am I to run away from? I think about an old video that my kids used to like to watch. I thought it was dumb. But they loved it. And in it, what's supposed to be knights are standing up, and then all of a sudden, the order goes forth, run away. Well, there's some things that God tells me to run away from. There are some things you can't argue with, you can't stand up to. You've got to run from them. And let's consider some of those. What are we to run from? One thing I'm to run from is man's ideas and suppositions. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supporting, supposing, <laughs> supporting, not even spelled that way, supposing that ga ga gain, <laughs> ooh, man, I wish my tongue would quit getting tied around my teeth so I could see what I'm saying. Supposing that gain is godliness. He says, from such, withdraw thyself. Run away from it. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. These are arguments of men who have corrupt minds. You know what? When a man has a corrupt mind, everything is corrupt to him. And he corrupts whatever he goes to or approaches or touches. What's their problem? They're destitute of the truth. What's the truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the truth. He also said in what is really the Lord's Prayer, I think it's in John chapter 17, if I'm correct. He's praying for his own, for his disciples. And he says this, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. These are destitute of the truth. You know what we find in preachers who have gone astray and now teach whatever their ideas are and their own disputings, and they dis dispute with the Word of God. They, they deny that God even exists in many cases. They want to adjust the message to fit the crowd. 
You know why? Because they've got corrupt minds. They're not seeking what God wants. They're seeking what they want. They're destitute of the truth. They're destitute of the word of God. They're destitute of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, thy word is truth. Every word of God is pure and preserved by God right here in this King James Bible. And it sanctifies us. It sets us apart. Brother, if you're going to believe the word of God, it's going to set you apart from this world because this world certainly does not believe it. So what are we to do for those who don't believe this book? Those who don't preach this book? We're to withdraw ourselves. Don't waste your time arguing the point. You won't win. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants to tie you up in arguments. We're not arguers. We're ambassadors. We deliver the message. Mine is the delivery as a preacher. Not the reception. That's the business of the one that God sends me to. To deliver the message. I deliver the message. You can accept it or not. It's not my job to make you accept it. It's just my job to deliver it. What else are we to run from? We're to run from wrong desire. And wrong desire is desire for riches. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you get that? You want to be rich? This is the, this is the path you're going to end up on. You're going to fall into temptation, get caught in a snare, get caught up in hurtful lust, and you're going to drown in destruction and perdition. It's not the direction you want to go. But that's what, that's the direction the devil wants to take us. So what do we do? Run away from this desire. Run away from this such covetousness. Run from it. We're also to run from, and this fits right in with what we were talking about before, from the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
Some of the newer Bibles have changed this to say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That way you can pick and choose which one it isn't. But it says it, when God said this, he said it's the root of all evil. It's what bears, it's why it can bring forth nothing but evil. The love of money. And when you covet after it, it'll, lead, it'll bring you to err. It'll bring you to live wrong, to do wrong, to speak wrong, to pra practice the wrong things. And it'll pierce you. It'll pierce you through. And you know what you're going to suffer? You're going to suffer sorrows. Because it's going to lead you down a path that can, be, that can bring forth nothing but sorrow. Because it brings forth destruction. There are a lot of people today who instead of serving God, they're serving for the buck. I remember hearing years ago, Someone asked a millionaire, how much money do you have to have to be satisfied? You know what he said? Just one more dollar. And then just one more dollar. There is no end to it. But out of all of that comes error and sorrow. And in the ministry, as preachers, we don't get in the ministry for money. And if you do, you've really picked the wrong place. But there are some who serve only for the money. Their message is geared to the what brings in the bucks. Their behavior is geared as to what brings in the bucks. They don't speak about sin and name it. They don't want to hurt the flow of the bucks. They're in love with, what, with the dollars that flow through. So what are we to do? Run from this. Run away. This appeals to the flesh. Just like when the devil tempted Eve, he appealed to the flesh. So this appeals to the flesh. Consider an example, one example of not running away from this. The man's name was Demas in Philemon. He, God says in verse 24, or Paul says, calls Demas, my fellow laborers. He's named among the laborers that worked with the apostle Paul. 
But then when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas. Demas went from being a fellow laborer to being a forsaker. He hath forsaken me, Paul says. Why did he leave? Because he fell in love with the world. This is a direct contradiction to what the Bible tells us in 1 John. We're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So he says, having loved this present world, Demas fell in love with the world and ran away. He left the Apostle Paul in the ministry. I've known men who were in the ministry and God used them to be very successful in the ministry in men's eyes. But then they took the gifts that God gave them for the ministry and used them for the world. And after a while, they fell in love with the money that it was bringing in. And so they left the ministry for the world, just like Demas. My, this is something we need to run away from. Again, I remind you, there's some things that you just can't argue with. The only thing you can do is flee. The best thing to do with them is Run away from them. They appeal to the flesh. Don't give them opportunity to argue the point with you. He says, flee these things. Fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I'm told that the word, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm told that the word fornication comes from a word in the Greek that we get our word pornography from. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, and I don't profess to be. But I know this. Fornication is sexual sins. And God says, flee. Why would you run from it? Because you can't argue with it. Because it appeals to the flesh. And the flesh will have its way because it's weak. He's taken the word of God. God chose preachers, men of God. And he placed the ministry in us. 
And when these things come, they ruin our testimony. And they ruin the message of God. So he says, run from it. He says, flee also youthful lust. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. The Bible tells us that youth is foolish. Now, why would he tell Timothy, flee also youthful lust? Because Timothy was a young preacher. And he was warning him against things that appealed to the youth. To his youthful desires. And God said, don't argue with them. Don't debate with them. But run from them. Why? Because again, it's the lust of the flesh that it's dealing with. And this flesh is dangerous. It's our enemy. He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Isn't it isn't it amazing that God would have to tell us to flee from idolatry? Well, I can hear you now. You're saying, well, there's not, I don't have idolatry in my life. There's nothing even appealing about idolatry in my life. That's not completely true. Because idolatry is simply putting something in front of God. Putting your job in front of God could be idolatry. Putting your health in front of God can be idolatry. Putting your life in front of God can be idolatry. Jesus calls on us to take up our cross and follow him. Putting our will in front of God is idolatry. What does God say to do? Run away from it. Flee. That doesn't sound like very heroic, does it? The problem with most of us is we want to be heroic. But God knows that we might want to be heroic, but our flesh is our enemy. And the only thing we can do is run away. We cannot win by by arguing the point. We cannot win by staying in the neighborhood. The only escape is to run away. Get out of there. But if we're to run away, then there are some things we are to follow. We're running away from certain things, but we're running towards others. He says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These are what we're to follow. We're to follow after righteousness. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1 says, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that Seek the Lord. That's following after righteousness. Seeking the Lord. 
Look unto the rock which ye were ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit which ye are ye were ye are digged. Still having trouble putting my words together. Isaiah says, hearken to me, listen to me. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Judah. He's saying, listen to me. Ye that follow after righteousness. Today you're doing what's right. You're running after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord. Running after righteousness is seeking the Lord. You can't run after righteousness and not seek the Lord at the same time because he is our righteousness. He's the Lord, our righteousness. He says, look unto the rock. The rock that he talks about here is the Lord. Look unto the rock. Whence ye are, ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. The Lord made us, constructed us, and He dug us up, He uncovered us to His glory. When I see that word, look unto the rock, I think about Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that. We're running from the world and its appeasements. The things that appeal to our flesh. But we're running towards Jesus. And we ever keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. He is our goal. He's the one we're reaching for. We're striving toward. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who saved us and will see to it that we are saved for all eternity. He's the author and he's the one who finishes our salvation. Who for the joy, now this is what you see when you look unto Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know what that means? It means when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him, we endure the cross for the joy that is set before us despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God, of, of the throne of God. 
He's the one who shows us how to reach the goal line. We keep our eyes on Jesus. He'll see to it. He's going to see to it that we cross the finish line. And we win because of him. I remember when I was first learning to drive, my daddy was teaching me. He would tell me, you look down the way from where you are to where you're going. And that's your aim. You don't look straight down in front of you because you won't go properly. You won't steer the car properly. Unless you keep your eyes on the goal. That's our goal. It's looking unto Jesus. Following after righteousness requires that the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace. And ensue it. Now, there's a lot of things there he tells us to do. The first thing he says is to eschew evil. That means, that word eschew means that we are to steer away from it. Steer clear of it. And do good. When you do this, you eschew evil. Then in its place, you do good. And then he says, let him seek peace. The peace of God that passeth all understanding is what we're seeking. And ensue it. Here we're looking for it. Here we're following after it. We're pointed at it. That's what God wants from me. That's what God wants from you, preacher. Believer, that's what God wants. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that it bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now notice, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation was revealed in Jesus Christ and is revealed in his words. Now, what, do we, what does it do? It teaches us. It teaches us to do certain things. One is to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Well, we've seen that denying some of these things is, requires that we run from them. 
We deny the love of money. We deny uh, idolatry. We deny these are ungodly things, worldly lusts, fornication. And in place of that, that we should live soberly. You know what that means? It means that we're to live a life seriously. We approach life seriously. We approach our service to God seriously. It's not a game that we're going to lose. Uh, excuse me, it's not a game that we play. Though sometimes we refer to it as that. It's serious business. We deal with life and death. Because when we say to one, as though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled to God. If they don't listen, if they don't pay attention, they got the message now and they reject the message. We're a savor of death unto them. But for the ones that receive the Lord Jesus Christ from our witness, we're a savor of life unto them. This is serious business and is to be approached soberly, righteously, to approach the service of God in a right way, God's way, and godly. Those two words, godliness, or godly and righteously, go right together in this present world. <clears throat> this present world is a mess. It's called evil. God doesn't see anything positive about it. And he warns us how we're to live in the midst of the wickedness that is all around us. We're to live soberly, righteously, and godly. We're to trust God. Psalm chapter 4 and verse 5 offer the, says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Christian, put your trust in the Lord. Not in the flesh, but in the Lord. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Trust in the Lord, not man. It's better to put your trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Man will disappoint you. I'll disappoint you. Doesn't matter whether you're a young pastor or an old pastor, a young man or an old man. We're all going to fail at times. In fact, the Bible says that a just man falleth seven times. But the Lord restores him. 
putting your trust in the Lord, the Lord will never fail. He gives us not only what to do, but gives us the power to do it. Man can't do that. Putting your confidence in man, you'll be disappointed. But we live in a world that puts their confidence in men. And then we wonder why we live such disappointed lives. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Notice, God tells you, trust in the Lord. Over and over and over again, God tells us, trust in the Lord. He says, trust in him with all thine heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. Don't try to understand things for yourself. Trust in the Lord. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, I'm reminded that he says, looking unto Jesus, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we don't look at ourselves, and we don't look at our own understanding, but we keep our eyes on Jesus, then he directs our paths in righteousness, not in destruction. Mark 4, 12 and verse 30 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So we're to follow after love. And we're to love the Lord with all our heart. With all of it. With all thy soul. With all thy mind. With all thy strength. So the heart is involved. The soul is involved. The mind is involved, and our strength is involved. I'm to love the Lord with every part of me. That covers my whole life. That covers my whole makeup, heart, the emotion, soul, the person, mind, the intellect. Strength, the physical. If I love God with all of that, then I love him with my very being. That's what God wants out of me. He wants me to follow after love, and that's the love of God, that I love God with everything about me. I love him, but to love him, he says in Psalm 31, verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. 
For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. So he says, love the Lord. It's like that business of trust the Lord. Here he says, love the Lord, all ye his saints. Now I understand in Psalm, he's talking, this is primarily dealing with Israel. But to me as a Christian, he says, love the Lord. For the Lord preserveth the faithful. When we love the Lord, he preserves us. When we love the Lord with every part of our being, he preserves us. from the path of the wicked. Because in the very next part, he says, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Bible says God hates a proud heart. Pride stands in place of our love for God. We can't love God and have a proud heart at the same time or be a proud doer at the same time because whatever we have was given us of God. So if it was given us of God, what do we have to be proud of? We can be proud of the Lord, but not of ourselves. Because left unto ourselves is nothing but destruction and perdition. Ye that love the Lord, he says, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Ye that love the Lord. You love the Lord? Then he says, hate evil. That means we hate wickedness. We hate lying. We hate cheating. We hate stealing. And by loving the Lord, then he preserves us. He preserves our lives. He preserves us and delivers us out of the hand of the wicked. Now, I know that some people say, well, that's not possible because the righteous do suffer in this world. Yes, but God preserves us from the hand of the wicked. He keeps us. And for that, we should be grateful. Then he says, follow after patience. That means wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14. Notice he says, wait on the Lord. Then he says, wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on God is not always what we want to do. In fact, we don't ever want to do that. We want to wait as long as he moves in our time. But sometimes 
And most times, God doesn't move in our time. So what are we to do? Wait on the Lord. That's patience. Be of good courage. He will strengthen you. He says, wait, I say, on the Lord. Patience is waiting on God to work in our behalf, to accomplish his will and his purpose. Proverbs 20 and verse 22 says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. So we're to wait patiently for God, even when we don't want to do that. We're to wait on the Lord. And what is he going to do? He shall save us. Salvation is of the Lord, not of man, not of ourselves. He shall save us. He saves us from making grave errors, from stepping over the line and putting ourselves out front. He saves us from wrong behavior. We're just to wait on him. That's patience. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, but or for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't get tired. Patience keeps us from being weary in well-doing. And patience has a reward. In due season we reap. But if we give up waiting on God, then out of that comes a mess. But worse than that, loss. Because we reap if we faint not. If we don't give in to the flesh. Then he says, follow after meekness. Meekness is simply submission to God's will. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Paul says, I beg you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We follow after meekness by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. It's looking at his meekness, his submissiveness to the will of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, let thine be done. That's what we're supposed to, that's the attitude we're supposed to have in our Christian life. Meekness is of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace. By the way, here's something interesting. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. There's that business about following after love. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. There's faith. And meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit is, is love. So following after love is going to come through the Spirit. Following after peace is going to come through the Spirit. Following after faith is going to come through the Spirit. Following after meekness, submissiveness to God's will. That comes through the Spirit. The only way for us to follow after these things is to have the Spirit of God, is to be in the Spirit of God and have the Spirit of God in us. And as a Christian, we have that. Is this Mr. Milk Toast? No. It is a life surrendered to the will of God. It's simply surrender to God. Surrender to His will. Not my way, but His way. Not my will, but His will. So God gives us very definite orders for the race that is set before us. The course that we are to run is going to require that I run from something and run to something. Only in this case, I run from something to someone, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you, as a preacher, as a man of God, as a young preacher, or as a trainee, to be in the ministry. Are you running your course looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Well, that concludes this part of our study. Until the next one, God bless.